Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at repetition. Hopefully it won't be repetitive. <laughs> it will be. It will be. But it will be good. Um, I just want to just, uh, by way of review uh, from last week, uh, just cover briefly um, what we saw last week. Let me see here. Uh, just a review of that, of those three steps, the exegetical process. Just it's just how to study the Bible. Um, the, those three crucial steps of observation and interpretation and application. Uh, observation means uh, we're answering the question, what does it say? And interpretation for some reason, I don't have the the right uh, equipping hour up there. Uh, let me see here. Brothers, do we have the right one, the one for today? Maybe check in the recently used... Uh, while, while we're figuring that out, uh, just uh, the, the three steps of uh, the study process of studying the Word of God are uh, observation, interpretation, and application. We looked at that last week, and observation is answering the question, what does it say? What does it say? And then interpretation answers the question, what does it mean? And then application there it is, uh, answers the question, uh, what do I do? Now, some would uh, use the, would, would say at the application, you know, just to keep on with the, uh, the phrasing, what does it say, what does it mean, then what does it mean to me? Uh, you might have heard that. Um, if you understand, you know, what, what you mean by that, that's fine, but uh, it, it can be misleading because um, it doesn't really matter what it means to you. It matters what it means. Uh, and then, um, the, the, if you're, but if you're asking that question, what does it mean to me? Uh, if your understanding of that question is, what does it mean uh, in application to me? That's fine. But uh, that's just a little more clunky. So I figured a, a little easier way of saying it is, what do I do? So what does it mean? Or excuse me, what does it say? What does it mean? And then what do I do with this? And uh, in the study process, especially if you're studying to uh, bring something to somebody else, your study process is going to be heavily, heavily in the observation stage. Um, most of your, of your time should be here observing and seeing what the text does say. 
what the original author said to the original audience um, and uh, not going so quick to application. I know our mind just goes so quick there, especially with verses that we have come to know and love. Um, but if we really want to understand the, the full impact of the Word of God, we need to spend more time there in observation. And so week after week, what we're going to do here is we're going to spend most of our time together learning and practicing this observation step. And um, by God's grace, I'll, we'll give you tools uh, with which to, you know, to, to do the mining for the gold. Uh, and the, as, as a series is titled, The Harvesting of the Honey. Um, what we're going to do, uh, especially today, we're really going to start getting into the groove of this. We're going to work through passages together, observing what is there. And then after that, you know, after each passage, we'll spend a little bit of time making maybe one or two interpretations, you know, seeing what does that mean then, and then what do we do, maybe an application or two as we go along. So it, it might feel like we have, you know, like these three little sermonettes almost, uh, but uh, uh, I trust that uh, in, in all of that you'll be encouraged, but yet this is going to be very much um, very uh, interactive and very much a class room setting. So, um, when we think about observing, uh, one of the easiest things to observe uh, in any kind of writing is something that's repeated. And, and repetition uh, happens not just because, you know, the author ran out of things to say, and they just need to fill the pages. Uh, it, what repetition does is it's, it's, it's the author's way of pointing out um, uh, topics or, or matters of, of critical importance. So if something's being repeated, we shouldn't just kind of use that as an excuse to just breeze through in our reading. If, some, if a phrase or a word is repeated, we shouldn't just gloss over it because, oh, I know that word or I saw that phrase before. Okay, let's just keep on going. No, that's actually the, 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 the uh, critical uh, topic that the author is desiring for you to walk away with. So that's actually a cue for you to stop and really pay attention at that point. So, uh, number one on your notes is uh, what you want to be looking out for are repeated words. Repeated words. So the first, the first thing that you want to look at, look for, are words that are repeated. Be note, or be sure to note that um, if there are any words that repeat within the same sentence that you're studying, uh, and then what you do there, if if you notice uh, in the, in the one sentence that there's a repeated word, then then you stop and you look around, you survey the sentences around your sentence, um, you you look at the verses before and the verses after, reading and reading and looking and looking for more repetition in that larger passage. Just a few examples before we land in a particular text. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 28. But now apart from the law, I want you, brothers and sisters, to be observing and, and look for something that's repeated uh, in this passage. Now apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there's uh, at least two words that are repeated, um, but we're looking for one main one. But if you mention the other ones, that's quite all right. Anything that you notice here that are repeated words? Righteousness. Yes, righteousness. So let's observe these together. So the righteousness, yeah, and then you got the law, righteousness of God. <clears throat> What's that? Faith. faith. Yeah, faith. So we have that in verse 22, right? Um, and then the, sorry? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So belief and faith, believe is the uh, most, most of the time, almost 100% of the time, I believe, is, is be, to believe is the verb form of faith. Faith is the noun, it's a thing. Uh, believe is a verb, it's an action. But it's the same, it's connected uh, with the same Greek word. It's just, you know... Uh, it's the difference between uh, go run around the block, that's a verb, and then I went for a run around the block, right? That's a noun. Run is a noun there. So believe and faith are the, the verb and, and the noun. So we have faith, we have believe. Um, yes, so these, these topics, uh, righteousness, justification, faith, are very much repeated throughout this passage. Actually, righteousness is something that comes up all throughout Romans. Some would argue that Romans is really about the righteousness of God. Um, but in this passage, we see how that uh, connects to us. Uh, it, God's righteousness uh, is seen in that he justifies us. And what's repeated in this passage is this word faith. Um, Verses 21 through 28, if you take into account um, all of the times faith is mentioned, it's mentioned five times in just uh, about seven verses, or rather eight verses. Five times in eight verses, that's, that's quite a lot. So this passage is all about faith, and uh, if you see that, if you start to hear that come up and up again, uh, then you need to go back and, and really dig a little deeper. Um, we didn't read verse 27 and 28, did we? No. So as, look at here again. Where then is boasting is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but a lot of faith. 
For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So there it even, it's even closer. It's even more frequent. So once you get to like verse 27, 28 is faith. And then the next sentence, faith. And that should be a stop sign for you. Wait a minute. I think he's really driving home faith. So let me back up and, and reread from verse 21 again. And then you start noticing, oh, he's been repeating this word quite a bit. Okay, that's just one example. Another example is in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Can somebody please read that nice and loud for us? Thank you. A word that's repeated in this passage? Raised. Raised. What else? Dead. Resurrection. Yeah, raised in the resurrection. Closely tied. Yeah, Christ, for sure. There's a little word that we just kind of gloss over. If. Yeah, somebody wanted to get it before I did. <laughs> if, look at all this. If, if, if. And then the next verse. If, if, and if. I probably missed one, but notice it, it six times. Six times. And then on top of that, what was mentioned was the word raise. Raise is nine times in these few verses, right? So it's this, uh, he, he's building this argument. What if Christ isn't raised? He, he just catalogs all of the, the hopelessness and the despair that would be produced if Christ wasn't raised, right? So uh, he, he's building an argument from the, uh, from the negative. He's not just saying, because he could say, um, instead of if, he could say, but since there is a resurrection from the dead, um, Christ uh, has been raised. And since Christ has been raised, then our preaching is not in vain, and your faith is not in vain. He could have said it that way, right, on the positive side. But to really grab our attention and to really get us thinking, he uses these what if. And it's helpful to do that. It's helpful to do that sometimes. Uh, to, to imagine what life would be like without Christ. It, it's, it's scary, really. Uh, and it makes us appreciate what is. It makes us appreciate, for example, the resurrection. All right? So that's what he's getting at here in this passage. Um. 1 John, 
Let's go to 1 John. You have that uh, there in front of you. 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. Again, we're going to be looking for words that are repeated. And we're going to draw some things out of this passage briefly. It says, but do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what word is repeated? The world. I heard the world. That's what we were, we were looking for, at least on, on this time around. So the world, we see it all over here, right? Yes, and love. And lust, yeah, it's repeated a, a couple times there. All right. Um, yeah. Trying to do this in different colors so that uh, we can see the contrast here immediately. It's, we're, we're a visual you know, society. We're a visual age. So that will help you. Uh, okay, so specifically with the word world, I mean, that is the most repeated, right? So what's most repeated in this passage is the word world. And so we need to zero in on that. Um, how many times in this passage is the word world used? Yeah, six times. In how many verses? Three. three verse, six times in three verses. That's major. That's pretty major. Now, you know, you look at love. That's, you know, the, uh, actually three times. I missed one. Three times um, in... One verse, that's very important. Three times in one verse. Uh, the Father is repeated uh, twice, but I mean, you know, that's, uh, it is a major thread through this. Uh, but it's not as repeated as world, so it doesn't get our attention quite as much. Now, is the word world repeated in every sentence? Yeah, yeah. So all the more, right? All the more. Every sentence, every time there's a period, by the time we get to another period, the word world has been said at least, at least once. Now, notice what's right next to this word world. It's, it's always this the, right? The world. The world. So there's a specific thing that he has in mind. It's not just any world. Uh, it's not um, a world or, or anything like that. It's, it's specifically the world, the world. And so he has uh, something in mind. And, and we know from the rest of uh, 1 John, and we know from 
The Gospel of John, who was written by the same man, right? World is something that uh, comes up very often. Can you think of a, a verse in the Gospel of John that has the word world? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, right? Um, so, this world is used uh, multiple different ways, and so we need to do our, our studies and figure out which way he's talking about it. Um, the world can be used for the, the actual globe, the physical earth. Uh, the world can, is also used in Scripture of every single person uh, on the face of the earth, right? Uh, the, the world is most often used, it seems like, when it's used in the negative sense. Uh, it's most often referring to the, the world system. That is, the world under the sway of the evil one. That world. And that is how it's used here. Uh, he's speaking of the world in a very negative sense, isn't he? So it seems to be pointing to this, um, this world system, this world society, the world in all of its sin. Now, it was already noted that this word love is repeated as well in this passage. Since it's repeated so much, um, we, we understand that love has something to do um, with what's going on in, in here. We know that the passage is mostly about the world. And drawing a contrast, it seems like to us, we are not like the world. We are not, we are not of the world. And we are given these commands. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you have two different options, right? You can either love the world or you can love the Father. If you are somebody who loves the world, you are not somebody who loves the Father, right? They're mutually exclusive. So this, 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 uh, this is setting the groundwork for this passage, right? So you, you have one of two choices. You either love the world or you love the Father. You either love the things of the world or you love the things of the Father, and he goes on to explain four, right? So this is the reason. This is the reason. This is the reason why there's, it's one or the other. This is the reason why you have to choose. This is the reason why um, you can't have both. Because all that is in the world that you would so quickly love, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, all of that stuff is not from the Father. So you can either love the world and the things of the world, or you can love the Father. And if you love the things of the world, none of that comes from the Father. The, the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes or the boastful pride of life. If that characterizes you, those things that you love are, are, do not come from God. See that? See how he's, he's explaining why it's mutually exclusive, why you can't have both. He goes on in the verse 17, the world is passing away, also its lusts. But when the one who does the will of God 
or the Father, lives forever. So, we have this, we'll get into this another week. This is a contrast, right? This, this word but is contrast. So, it's, it's contrasting this, right, which is seen in a negative light, and this versus this, which is seen in a positive light. What is opposite between these two phrases? The world is passing away and also is blessed, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. What's the, what, what are the opposite words in both phrases? Yes, so passing away or passing and forever. Yes. These words right here are are opposite. Right? Something that is passing away is not something that's forever. It's not eternal. Passing away communicates temporary. Uh, the word forever indicates enduring. Right? So you can either have... He's, he's setting the table before you. Right? And he's saying... You can invest your life and invest your heart in things that just pass away. Or you can invest your heart and your life in things that are eternal. You can't have both. See? That's why, and that is under this main umbrella, um, this command, do not love the world. That's why. That's why you, the command is so... Important, don't love this world, it's passing away. And besides, it doesn't come from the Father. See that? Okay. Um, let's move on. So that's repeated words, okay? Repeated themes. Repeated themes. Uh, verse, excuse me, Psalm 119, verse 1 through 8. Can somebody please read those verses for us? Amen. Thank you. So this uh, is just the very beginning of uh, hundreds of verses, right? In Psalm uh, 119. So many verses in this one chapter, in this one psalm. And there's this theme. It's not a repeated word, but it's a repeated theme. What is Psalm 119 all about? The law of the Lord, the Bible, right? The scriptures. 
That's uh, what this whole psalm is about. Almost every single verse in Psalm 119. If you have trouble getting motivated to get into the Word on a specific morning or a specific day, just run to Psalm 119 and just read that for a couple minutes. And that should just stoke your heart. You know what? This is really important. I can't live without the law of the Lord, the precepts. So how, how is the Bible, because well, I mean, he doesn't use the word Bible, right? And he doesn't use Scripture. So how, what are some other words that fit in with the theme or that are uh, other words used instead of the Bible or Scripture in this passage? Yeah. So, testimonies, his ways, yes. Precepts. So, in every verse already, right? The next, the next um, few verses. Yes. Not statues, but statutes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, commandments. Yes. Yeah, again, statutes. Yeah, that's right. So we see especially words like statutes, right? Those, that's something that's repeated. So that should trigger us to understand, okay, he's repeating a word here. And then, if you're, and then that's, that's like a stop sign again and tells you to, to slow down and look around. And you notice, oh wow, he's not just using statutes, but he's using the word commandments, the word judges, uh, judgments, um, the, the law of the Lord. He, oh, he's talking about the word of God in all different kinds of ways. He's just using different words. I mean, this is poetry after all, right? So it wouldn't be very good poetry. It wouldn't be very pleasing if he just said, oh, that my ways be established in your Bible. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all of your Bible, right? It's, that's just bland. So he uses these different words and incorporates them poetically, very beautifully, uh, to, uh, to, to make this, this psalm really sing. Uh, and so if you pay attention to the rest of Psalm 119, this just happens over and over again through the whole psalm. So that's why we say that all of Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. Um, I know of a pastor that read all of Psalm 119 uh, to the congregation in one sitting. Uh, I don't know if I have that amount of bravery, but it's, it's, it's good. I mean, that's, that's the word of God. All right, so in another passage where we're going to kind of just stop and look for a while is in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58. It's a larger chunk. But we're looking again. There are going to be some words that are repeated, but if we stop and, and really look, we'll actually see that those words are uh, uh, like this flashing light saying, it's not just the words, it's this, there's a theme that I'm repeating. Okay, so look for not only words, but the themes that connect to those words that are repeated. First uh, Corinthians 15, 50 through, 8, 50 through 58 says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Wonderful passage. Um, what do we see here? Let's start with words that are repeated. What comes up most often in this passage? Yeah, perishable, imperishable. Exactly. So let's walk through here. We have uh, imperishable right here. We have it in... Verse 52, we have perishable. It's a different color here. In verse 50, right? But we don't have it down in verse 52. But let's, let's move on. Perishable, again, in verse 53 and 54. And we have imperishable, same thing, 53 and 54. Now, I know that when I go between these slides, the previous markings go away, so just uh, bear with technology. Now, do you see uh, perishable or imperishable here in the last uh, section, verse 50, the last half of 54 through the end of the passage? Perishable, imperishable? No, no. What are some words, though? Maybe some words that are repeated here in this section that are closely related to the idea or the theme of perishable death yes yes so death the thing of death good now how about over, let's see, yeah, this section. I hope you're making notes on, on your notes that are in front of you. Um, that's why it's there, and that's why you, you, know, you have it there. I, I, I can only look at so much on one screen up here. But uh, verses 53 and 54, how about... Uh, here, so we, we, we already established that imperishable, right, is our repeated word. And um, what's another word here that, that lines up with the theme for, imp for uh, oh, excuse me, perishable? What's another word that lines up with the theme of perishable? Mortal. Mortal. Yes. 
Right. So if we go on the flip side, if we already noticed that imperishable is repeated, same thing with, with this word. What's, what are some words that line up with the theme of being imperishable? Immortality. I missed one here. Yes. So see, now that we see this theme, now the repetition is actually way more frequent, right? Way more frequent. And that's what he's getting at. He's getting at this contrast. There's what's perishable, what is mortal, what is, dis- what is uh, uh, under the curse of death and sin. And then there's imperishable. There's the immortal. And what he gets at, at the very end, though, this is where we get into more interpretation, right, and application. Now, again, uh, let's, let's do the hard work of study, and let's underline. Let's color our page. <laughs> I think that was it. Uh, we see this repetition of the, the theme of perishable, the theme of mortal, the theme of death here. But it seems like the theme of imperishable kind of just fades away. It seems like that at first glance anyways, right? But if we're still maintaining this contrast between imperish, perishable and imperishable, uh, mortality and immortality... And death and, we would think, life or something like that. But we don't have those words here. How is is death done away with? What's contrasted with death here? Victory. Ah, See, you guys are on it. Yes. Victory. The victory of Christ is what is contrasted with Immortality, or excuse me, mortality, death, and perishableness. And, and that's actually really good writing by Paul because he, it, the main thing that he's driving home for us, the main thing that he wants us to walk away with is not just the fact that we're going to live forever and you know, we're, we'll be imperishable. And it, it'll, you know, eternal life is, is the main thing about eternal life that we should know is that uh, you know it's eternal, and it doesn't stop. That's not what he's saying. He 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 uh, grabs our attention with this repetition and this going back and forth: perishable, imperishable, mortal, immortal. Now he goes death to victory, and specifically the victory that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he could have said, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us eternal life through, through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. He could have said that. And that would have actually been more grammatically appropriate, you could say. But he doesn't. He contrasts death with victory. You see, death is... Uh, swallowed up in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Notice, 
And if we have our, uh, our thinking caps on, in this last uh, verse, this contrast seems to go away, right? Uh, the imperishable, the eternal things, and then the, the perishable, the temporal things. Actually, it doesn't go away. This word for, for vanity is right along step with uh, death, mortality, perishable. It's right along in the same theme, vanity, emptiness, temporary. All of these synonyms of, of vain. Notice what's contrasted with what is vain, what is empty, what is temporary. It is the work of the Lord. Right? The work of the Lord and your toil. Your toil is, is not vain. Your work, your service to the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not this here today, gone tomorrow, mortal, perishable thing. No. Your work in the, in the Lord, your toil, your service, your ministry, brothers and sisters, has eternal consequences. That's why he says, therefore... Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's why he gets there. Your kingdom toil, Christian, is not perishable. It's not vain. Rather, it's imperishable and it's victorious. Our work Our kingdom work is a victorious work. Therefore, that's why we ought to be steadfast, immovable, and abounding. That's why men and women give their whole lives over to the work of God. Because they know that the things of this world are passing and perishable. But if I store up treasures in heaven, both in the material things that I give and in the efforts that I give to the Lord, If I store up treasures in heaven that way, it will not perish. And it's not in vain in the Lord. Okay. Now, one one last point. Told you it would be repetitive. (laughs) Psalm 136. Somebody please read these uh, first eight verses that we have. Um. Actually, it's more than that. I'll I'll read it. I'll read it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to our Lord, to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Do you get the point? Yeah, his loving kindness is everlasting. All of these things that are described here are the, the, the product 
of his loving kindness being everlasting. The hesed love of God. The covenant, um, sacrificialist, the Old Testament version of agape love, you could say. This hesed love of God in Hebrew. It's, it's this, this, um, this loving kindness, this steadfast love is also translated in the Old Testament. It's, it's amazing that he says we ought to be thankful people because, not just because he's good to you, but just because you can always depend on his loving kindness. Right? Uh, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Um, to him who alone does great wonders. So he's connecting our thankfulness to the great things that God has done. And he's connecting the great things that God has done with his love and kindness is everlasting. You can always de- depend on his love, his loving kindness being towards you, Christian, being seen through the great works he does in your life. Therefore, give thanks. And just goes on. The rest of the, the psalm uh, catalogs this. The whole psalm, the entire psalm, 136, this phrase, for his loving kindness is everlasting, is repeated. So, of course, that's what he wants you to get at. But we quickly, you know, if you come across this, this psalm, you just breeze through it, right? Well, it's the, same, it's the same phrase over and over again. So I'm just going to pay attention to the first half of the verse, and I know what he's going to say the second half of the verse, so I'll just skip it. No, that's the main thing he wants you to walk away from. You should be doing the opposite of just skipping or breezing through it as you, as you read the Word of God, as you study the Word of God. You should stop and really dig. The same thing in Matthew 5, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, here. In Matthew 5, verses 21 through 48, there's a large section where Jesus is teaching and preaching, uh, we have a phrase that is repeated. Actually, two phrases. You have heard, and then, but I say to you. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And he goes on. He says it again. In verse 27, uh, you, have heard, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, in verse 31, it was said, but I say to you. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard, right? You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven uh, for it is the throne of God, and he goes on, for or by earth. Verse 38, again, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. 
again in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These phrases that are repeated. And you can also in, include here repeated uh, uh, structure. So we, both, we have both repeated phrases in this large chunk of Matthew 5, 21 through 48. And we have this structure where the phrases are in a specific order. You have heard it said, or it was said, but I say to you. That structure is also repeated. And so we should stop. All of these things are connected. All of these repetition are connected. We're to see it as one unit, verses 21 through 48. It's one unit. And what this large unit is saying is Christ is the law. That We no longer live under the law, but we live under the grace. It doesn't mean that we rip out the, the Old Testament of our Bibles and ignore it. No, because even in the law, we're given uh, the nature of God and the righteousness of God. It doesn't mean that we can go around murdering or committing adultery or lying or stealing or having idols, right? The Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments. We still live by them, right? They still are authoritative in our life, but we actually get to the heart because we have relationship, because we have a new heart in Christ as part of the new covenant. Now it's, it's, it's actually the, the Ten Commandments are like the ABCs to our Christian life. Christ says, I'm getting at the heart here. I'm not just concerned about you know, the outward manifestations of your godliness. No, it must go Heart deep. That's the change. So multiple things are going on here, but the main thing is Christ is saying, I'm getting at the heart. This is what I've come to do. To take your outward allegiance to God and drive it into your very soul. That's the gospel. That's, what, that's the effects of the gospel. This is a new era, you could say. This is the... This is the a relationship with God that we have today, this heart-level relationship. Uh, Luke 14, 25-33, there's another uh, phrase that's repeated, and it's just that this phrase, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, Jesus draws a line in the sand. We won't look at it today. I want to get to Hebrews 11. If you look at Hebrews 11, uh, if you don't have it, uh, if you don't have it open already, uh, open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. In the next five minutes, we'll do this here. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I want you to turn there in your Bibles because you need to actually see with your own eyes what, what I'm going to be talking about here. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Hebrews 11, I'll just read just a few verses of it. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, 
so that what is seen was, was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And it goes on in chapter 11. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. Verse 11, by faith even Sarah. By faith, again, Abraham. By faith Isaac in verse 20. Verse 21, by faith Jacob. 22, by faith Joseph. Verse 23, by faith Moses. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. By, by faith, verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell. Verse 31, by faith Rahab. The harlot, by, uh, verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, speaking of the prophets, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experience mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were shone in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Amazing passage here. This chapter has been called the Hall of Faith. Uh, uh, you know, we, we think of the Hall of Fame, right, in our world where we, you know, as it were, immortalize uh, famous people of the world. Um, this is the Hall of Faith. Now, why is he talking about this? I mean, of course, we, we, we understand if you're... If you're just paying marginal attention, you understand this phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, right? He's talking about the lives of these men and women who live by faith. Over and over and over again. The, the point is that no matter who, when, or where, all of these people had, had this same kind of by faith lifestyle. But even more than that, why does he bring this up? Why spend so much time, so much ink on this? Well, if you look in your Bibles, look at just before Hebrews 11. So before Hebrews 11 is Hebrews 10. Look at the last few verses there. Verse 35 through 39. Therefore, he's drawing a conclusion. Therefore, do not, draw, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. 
So it wasn't out of nowhere. He goes on, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Then he launches into explaining what faith is and then cataloging this hall of faith. That's why Hebrews 11 is there. He's not just giving a history lesson. He's giving a whole chapter's worth of proof to prove this one little phrase. We are not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith. What does it mean we are not of those? What he's saying is that's... This, this shrinking back, this, this cowarding in the face of persecution or opposition, this, this, um, this uh, inconsistency of devotion to Christ, this, um, this checking out when it gets too hard attitude of the Christian life, that's not who we are. He says, I know you're going through persecution. I know that you're going through trial. But your spiritual lineage, your spiritual heritage is of a people who are held up by faith and who live and persevere by faith. That's your family tree, he says. That's your family tree. And we, you know... Certain people like to get all excited about your family tree, and, and that's fine, you know, to, to know where you come from and, and to know your heritage. But people get all lathered up about, you know, this ethnicity, that ethnicity. That's all fine and well, as long as it doesn't lead you to pride. But as a believer, you have a greater heritage, a greater lineage. And the author of Hebrews is saying, this is your lineage, lineage of faith. And then he goes through our family tree. He goes through the family photo album, as it were. And he just, just walks through all these men and women who persevered by faith. He says, you see, that's not who you are. You're not the people that just throw in the towel. And in fact, that's what he's getting at. We must... Not shrink back in fear, but rather press on in faith. That's our spiritual heritage. And after all, after Hebrews 11 is Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance. See, that is contrasted with the, with the um, kind of people that just fade away and, and shrink back. Run with endurance, race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. See? Our ultimate example. The source and the ultimate example of your faith is in Jesus Christ. So yes, look at your family lineage, look at your spiritual heritage of these men and women who stood strong by, by faith, but look at Christ ultimately as you run your race. Don't throw in the towel. Don't get off the racetrack, but endure because you have the faith that Christ has given you 
and endure keeping your eyes on Christ, your ultimate example, who, who, who was faithful to the very end and is still faithful to you, faithful to intercede for us today. See? So I hope that this is encouraging to you, even though we're looking at just repeated phrases, right? Don't you see how this repeated phrase stops us in our tracks and it causes us to just pull over on the side of the road and look around? Look before Hebrews 10, look after Hebrews 12. And we see what Hebrews 11 is all about, and it gives Hebrews 11 this whole new life, this whole new umph, as it were. So I trust that you would experience that this week as you are in your times of reading the Bible. Um, it was asked of me last week, you know, if I'm just reading through the, the, you know, read through the Bible in a year, or I'm just reading through my passage, or my, my daily reading, you know, I don't, I don't have time to do this. I would push back and say, yes, you do. And I would, but I would also help, help you by saying, nobody's expecting you to study, like, your whole reading of the morning, if it's chapters and chapters. Just stop and, and, and look at one verse or one section, three verses. Just stop and really focus in and think about that through the day. Uh, you, you don't have to study every single word of every single passage that you read every single day. Um, you still have to live life, right? You still have to apply the word of God to your life and actually live it out. can't be in your room studying all day. Um, so, of course, uh, take a verse at a time and begin looking for these repeated words, even this week. All right? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word that it is uh, truly uh, more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for your people that they would have just one more tool uh, with which to, uh, to get that gold and honey out of your word. I pray for their times in your word this week, that it would be rich for them, that they would see things that they have not seen before, maybe in passages that they've read over and over again through the years. Pray, Lord, that you would do that and that they would just be so encouraged to uh, give more attention to your word and to want to be in it more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.